This week, I sat down with a stunningly erudite, articulate, well-read, and surprisingly good-looking guest. Yes, I sat down and talked with myself for not a full hour, probably about 40 minutes, and it was... And it was fine. It was good. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. We'll see. This is kind of a first for us. Didn't happen uh, because of some Machiavellian plan to for me just to monopolize the entire show. But we ended up having some technical issues, some booking issues. Uh, Charlie made the tactical mistake of being on a flight where I couldn't reach him and unleash a primal scream of frustration. So as a result... <laughs> We uh, we canned the show uh, for today. Well, we had a great topic and we had great guests. And my apologies to them, but we will refire on them and do that all that whole episode uh, at another date, so that you guys can uh, enjoy that later. But for today, I, I sat down and monologued for you guys a little bit, and uh, I don't know. Hopefully, it didn't suck too bad. I don't think it did, but please let me know in the comments. Uh, as always, I welcome your feedback. You know, that whole, he has a right to criticize, who has a heart to help thing. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully you guys will too. And I tried to make it short and sweet. So you don't have to listen to me for a full hour. Um, and you can kind of, uh, I think 40 minutes is what I ended up doing. So yeah, relatively tolerable. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the weekly havoc. Welcome to this episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff and writers at Havoc Journal, try to make a little order out of chaos. Every week, I give a caveat to that intro, and never more so than this week, because this week, uh, pretty much everything shat the bed. Uh, We had a guest that couldn't make it, and... We had technical issues with the other two guests, and um, it was no harm, no foul. It, you know, I, I don't know where to assess blame, and I don't really care. Uh, it's just one of those things that happens uh, when you're trying to churn things out on a regular basis. But it just kind of cracked me up because I was like, we, we actually had a really proper roundtable discussion teed up, and uh, it ends up just being me. <laughs> I talked to myself. Charlie's on a flight, so he can't make it. Um, otherwise, he would probably come in and, uh, you know, pinch hit, be my uh, Jose Akendo for those that get the reference, and uh, come in and, and uh, we do a one on one. But anyway, be that as it may, I uh, I figured I would take the time. Um, I can't promise this is going to be a full hour, but something uh, easily digestible did come to my mind that I wanted, that I thought I could probably do a soliloquy on. So I'm going to for you guys. So I was thinking a bit about tolerance this week, and I can't remember what exactly uh, set me off thinking about it. I know Mark Milley had his comments about critical race theory in front of Congress, and a lot of people commented on that. And uh, I have thoughts on that, but I, I won't get into that right now. I think my big but I, did, I think that is what set me off. I think that was the kindling that got me thinking about the concept of tolerance. Because I think a lot of what both the left and the right assign problems to in the country now, whether it's 
uh, let's use the left's term of white fragility. I'm putting air quotes up for that. Or uh, the right's uh, fears of cancel culture. I think both come down to confusing, to, to kind of a fuzzy-headed thinking about tolerance and what tolerance is and what it should be. So let me start this by saying I actually am a big fan of cancel culture. I like the idea of cancel culture because I like the idea that there are limits to reasonable, socially acceptable um, dialogues, right? I think uh, somebody wants to come and talk about, you know, uh, you know, uh, their, their enjoyment of necrophilia or cannibalism and what have you. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with canceling that. I don't think, uh, you know, somebody like that needs to have a large platform. And if, again, I don't think the government necessarily is the one that needs to regulate that uh, unless they're actively doing it. Uh, you know, I mean, people are free to think whatever sick, disgusting things they want in their own minds. That's, that's America is that, you know, sick and disgusting is a subjective, uh, you know, subject, subjective assessment a lot of times. So none of us are legally in the position to assess sick and disgusting to people. So people are free to think whatever they want. They're not free to act on whatever they want. And that's a fine legal distinction. But as far as what they think and uh, their freedom of speech, uh, you know, that's fine. That's between them and God. But certainly if they do exercise their freedom of speech, others have the right to object to that speech. And again, doesn't mean they can act on any reaper on, on anything they want. They can't necessarily just get violent. They don't have a right. If somebody says something you don't like, you don't have a right to just take up a baseball bat and beat their brains out. But you certainly have a right to object and you certainly have a right to boycott. And you have a right to protest and all that. So um, I, I think reasonable people can agree that there are things that should be canceled in culture. There are things that we can all agree, hey, you know, that that shouldn't be in the Overton window of, of acceptable discourse. I think where the issue really – where everything becomes an issue is with what is being canceled. That's, I think, it's not the cancel culture per se is an issue. It's that what are we choosing to cancel? That, I think, is what's alarming, shocking, disturbing to many people. Not the fact that things are being canceled, but that things that are relatively mainstream opinions and thoughts up until five minutes ago are suddenly verboten. And I think that's where the concept of tolerance comes into play. There is no virtue in being tolerant only of people that you agree with, right? That's not tolerance. Uh, that, that's just groupthink. That's, hey, we all agree. So, yeah, of course I tolerate people I agree with. So no virtue in that. You don't get any points for that. The whole point of tolerance is that you're tolerating people that you don't agree with. Now, obviously, there's a line at which every human being on the planet can no longer be tolerant. There's a line at which people have to go, okay, I, I got to pick up a gun because this is getting out of hand, um, usually when lives are in danger, right, or when you're physically being threatened. But I think we're at a place right now in America where we confuse those issues and we think that we're at a place where we need to be militant far before we actually do. 
And as a result, we lose that, that beautiful concept of tolerance, that we are tolerating people we disagree with. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, I have a neighbor, great guy, very affable guy, um, gregarious, uh, funny guy. But, you know, he's an old hippie and he's a, a constantly likes to brag how he was a communist and, you know, the FBI had files on him and blah, 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 blah. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I certainly know he's, he's made reference to that in the past. Okay, well, um, he's a nice guy. He's not actively rabble-rousing and storming, you know, my place. And he's not trying to convert me to communism. And he's not, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, killing any kulaks in the, in the yard next door. So, you know, I tolerate it. Um, I tolerate smokers. You know, I tolerate people that do all, all sorts of things that I don't agree with. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a neoconservative, as I've said before, I'm a pre Trump conservative for those that want to know where I stand since 2016. Um, cause, and that's a whole different issue, but I say all that just as to, to lay out exactly where I'm coming from. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, I don't get along politically with most of the area that I live in. But I don't care. They're good people. I like them. Um, you know, everybody's got different virtues. We are more than just our politics. So as a result, I, you know, I tolerate it. I tolerate just things I don't agree with. And um, that's fine. I, I can, you know, as far I don't really spout off about my beliefs um, very much. And if I'm asked, I guess, directly, I, I suppose I would. But nobody asks and I don't tell. So there you go. So I'm tolerant of them, and I guess to the degree that anyone knows or cares what I think, they're tolerant of me, and that's fine. That's how tolerance should work. There's a fine line, or not even a fine line, I think there's a very defined line, though, between tolerance and endorsement. And that's, I think, where yet another area that we get into a lot of trouble in America these days. People don't want tolerance. They want endorsement. They want you to agree with them that Trump is the best president ever or that black lives matter or whatever their, their particular pet cause is, whatever it is, they want you to agree. Well, that's endorsement. Um, I'm not going to endorse. And I don't think anyone should feel compulsion to endorse something that they don't believe in. They shouldn't do it just to get along with people. They shouldn't do it just because their job might be affected by it. They shouldn't do it because the, their, their neighborhood or their neighbors expect that of them. Um, that is, uh, to coin a phrase, faintly fascist. And uh, I'll talk about my, my problems with calling anything fascist in another episode because that's kind of a, uh, one of those words that essentially means just anything you don't like is fascist. But, uh, and that's partly because Mussolini himself couldn't even define fascism that well, and he's the one that coined the phrase. But we'll leave that for another time. Uh, but to the extent we all, anyone can identify what fascism is, that is fascism. It is, is groupthink. It is all coming together like the fascists, like the Italian fascists, to uh, support the handle of the axe as a group because we are stronger all together. And, uh, and that demands endorsement. And that's where we run into trouble. And I, so my thoughts, uh, as I was kind of noodling through what we were going to talk about today or what I was going to talk about today, was uh, to give a shout out to tolerance. 
tolerance is what allows us all to coexist because we can have radically different lifestyles, different views, um, literally just be different people, um, you know, different religions, different beliefs, different creeds, what have you. And that's how America should be because that's kind of the, the premise of America. But we have to be able to tolerate each other. And we also have to be adults about where we draw the line. And I think that's the discussion that we need in America is, okay, where do we draw the line on when we will stop being intolerant? I'll give a, another example. Uh, when I lived in, in both New York City and L.A., um, you know, big cities, and I spent most of my life in one or the other of them. And uh, both obviously are minority majority cities. So I never was especially conscious of um, white racism. That wasn't really a thing that I saw very often. What, what I saw was, if anything, you know, people looking at me and hating me because of my skin color, but I never really saw white people that didn't like other people because their skin color, because um, any whites I knew were, were kind of always outnumbered. It never stopped me from being friends that would let me be friends with them because New Yorkers, I mean, that's, I think, a, a kind of leading my way to a greater anthropological statement about New Yorkers, <laughs> but because I think New Yorkers a lot of times are, are misinterpreted and misunderstood because New Yorkers like to refer to people by their religion and by their race. And to people that aren't New Yorkers, that sounds like racism or some anti-religious bigotry. But to a New Yorker, it's actually because we're all in the same neighborhoods and therefore that's, it's just tribal recognition. It's not actually, you know, a slur. Uh, so, you know, you, growing up, you know, people would say, well, this Jew over here or, you know, all oh, the blacks came down here, but it wasn't, a, you know, I mean, you're mentioning people's race because you're identifying who they are. There was no ill will uh, directed uh, behind it. And I think a lot of people don't get that if they're coming from white bread, Kansas or white bread, Oregon or Washington or whatever. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of um, kind of daft white bread people tend to think that any mention of anyone's race is a sign of inherent racism. And it isn't. It's actually a sign of, for a New Yorker, it's a sign of these are my neighbors and this is who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, which I find personally refreshing and funny and, and, and it kind of makes us all human because we all know each other's weak spots because we're all crammed on the subway together and we're all living in the same apartment buildings. And so we all get on each other's nerves and we hate each other the way brothers hate each other. You know, there's, there's little resentments and little flare ups and little grievances, but it's all family. And, um, I, 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 I hope I'm, I'm doing this justice, how I'm presenting this. Cause I do think a lot of people misinterpret that when New Yorkers are like that. Uh, it is a, it is a relatively rare attitude. I think that New Yorkers have everywhere else I've been in the country. It doesn't seem like there's that jovial sense of you know, ribbing each other and joshing with each other and, and kind of digging the knife in a little bit. And yeah, fucking Puerto Ricans, here they come again, you know, but to us, it's just like, it's saying you're about your brother, you know, oh, my fucking brother, you know, he's loud as shit, you know, it, so it's, it's, there, there's, there's goodwill behind it. And that's why I love New York and why I love New Yorker attitudes. Anyway, that was a long way of saying that's all, that all goes to tolerance. And 
where I think a lot of the, the, the tension comes is when we decide suddenly that we're going to make uh, certain things, that certain things are no longer going to be tolerated. And, and what we mean by that is if you don't endorse a certain line of thinking, then you are not tolerating whatever the issue is. And that, I think, is the crime to conflate tolerance with endorsement. And that people have to understand endorsement is a positive and tolerance is exactly that. It's tolerating something that you find negative. And that's what we need more of. If that makes sense. I don't want to make too much of this. I'm looking at the clock and realizing I've been talking for about 15 minutes. Um, so I'm not going to get as much uh, <laughs> as much mileage out of this subject as I thought I might. I was like, yeah, maybe I could do an hour on this. I don't know. But anyway, that... To wrap it up, that was just my thought that I had on tolerance. I think it's an important lesson uh, because um, I guess I'll end this on a sappy patriotic note. But I, I, I think when you've been overseas a lot, you appreciate the plurality, the diversity of experiences in the United States. And you love how crazy and different each individual uh, element in American society is, you know, from the little Honduran restaurant over here to the Guatemalan section over there to the Haitians over here to the Hasidic Jews over here to, you know, we're all we're all this little funky mix of people. And it's freaking awesome. And that's what I, I mean, again, to sound hokey and corny, it, it is what makes America great. It's why I love living here. And you don't see that in a lot of other countries. But it is what makes America awesome. But it only works if you're willing to tolerate people who you don't 100% agree with or people who even hold core parts of their belief system in diametric opposition to you. As long as they're not actively coming after you uh, and you know hunting you down in, in your apartment building to hurt you, um, if you can tolerate them, please do because that's we, – we have to. Otherwise, we, we do fall apart. And don't demand that people endorse your beliefs in order to qualify as a worthwhile human being or a human being that should be allowed in polite society. That is where cancel culture gets into trouble, in my opinion. But I think we could, do a, a, we could go a long way towards, towards being adults about this just by remembering the principles of tolerance and realizing that we don't have to agree on everything to tolerate each other and to live peaceably next to each other and enjoy the best of what each other has to offer. Okay, I was able to filibuster long enough to get to 17 minutes, so that's good. So I did my part uh, as best I could. We'll keep this one short and sweet. Uh, I, I'm trying to think if I should give a shout-out to anything specifically. You guys all know uh, Charlie and Second Mission has something very cool coming up with Aaron Kirk's book, The Hill. Uh, which is about a Marine's experience in Helmand. That's coming out. Uh, I've pre-ordered it, so I haven't been able to read it yet, but it is on pre-order. I encourage everybody to do it. Uh, Charlie cannot speak highly enough about it, and um, that's high praise from Charlie. I can't say high praise anymore without thinking about Andy Samberg on Saturday Night Live when he used to do his Nicolas Cage impersonation. He always say, that's high praise, like Nicolas Cage did. It just cracks me up, and now I can't say that. Um, seriously, without thinking of them. Anyway, uh, I'm digressing. This is what happens when I have nobody else to talk to and I lose my mind and just start blabbering to myself. 
Uh, so Aaron Kirk's book, The Hill, that's out. You should definitely check that out. Okay. My plug. I'll take some time since we do have some time to plug uh, a new project that I have coming out that you guys can't really do anything about right now, but uh, I might as well give you a sneak preview about it. So I have, um, Charlie hinted at this last week, and I kind of ungraciously rejected his attempt to tee me up to to talk about what uh, I have going on. But uh, I think now is a good time to do it because we just launched our Instagram. So uh, you guys can at least connect with me there. But let me, let me try to get you the Instagram address here while I'm thinking of it because otherwise I will forget. And then I'll get messages from people going, dude, you totally forgot to tell us where your Instagram is. So my Instagram is vetreptheater, all one word, V-E-T-R-E-P, theater, Theater is the American spelling, not R-E, but E-R. Vet Rep Theater on Instagram. So check us out. Um, I'm posting stuff every day, sometimes even videos, and uh, kind of talking about what's going on there. But I'll give you guys, I'll, I'll kind of do all my spoilers right now. So if you want to go to Instagram and check it out, by all means, feel free. And you can pretty much shut off the podcast now and you won't miss, I don't think, too much else. But if you want the spoilers, uh, let me tell you a little bit about VetRep. So what is VetRep? Veteran, VetRep is the Veterans Repertory Theater, and it's in Newburgh, New York. You may know about Newburgh, New York, because uh, it's routinely one of the most dangerous cities, uh, listed as one of the most dangerous cities in the country for crime. Uh, that does not do it justice. Newburgh is awesome. Newburgh is one of the most beautiful cities you will ever see. The architecture is incredible. It is right by the Hudson River. It is gorgeous. It has views of the Hudson River. It's just a beautiful city. It has had its problems. There's no two ways about it. For decades, it has had significant, significant problems. But it has been on the comeback trail for a while now, and it's getting there. Bit by bit, year after year, it is climbing its way back up. So it's kind of going through a little bit of Brooklyn-style revival. If you're a New Yorker, you know what that means. Even if you're not a New Yorker, you might know what that means. So it's, you know, you're starting to see hipsters come out and have some funky restaurants and some, you know, cool events happening. And I think everyone, even the recent imports to Newburgh, and I'll include myself in that uh, just for the sake of transparency, want to improve the inner city. We're not trying to box out the inner city or shut it out. Um, and that's part of what uh, made this a great home for vet rep. Because uh, if you're going to do a theater, uh, there are worse places to do it. For one thing, there is no active live theater in the area. And I saw a great opportunity to do something cool. And uh, Newburgh looked like a great location to do it. And we got a great space to do it in. So I'm incredibly excited about that. Okay, so I'm stalling. What exactly is Vet rep. What is the Veterans Repertory Theater? What exactly is the concept there? Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if I should give you guys the full pitch or do the, the cliff notes. I'll, I'll try to do some something in between because if you go to Instagram, you'll hear the full pitch over and over. But essentially, one of the things that I ran into a lot in my time in the military was a phenomenon where I would be with people that I was incredibly impressed with, 
guys who had done an awful lot of things, been a lot of places, seen a lot, experienced a lot. And when I would talk to them about what they were going to do when they got out of the military, very few had good answers. Uh, there's uh, obviously the the contractor, military contractor path is a, is a typical route that a lot of people take and understandable. And it's an easy way to leverage your experience, your professional experiences in the military. But what shocked me was, or what, what didn't shock me, but what uh, I hate to say disappointed me because, uh, you know, it's not my place to approve or disapprove of what somebody does. Tolerance, right? Getting back to tolerance. But, uh, but I, I guess for lack of a better word, what I found disappointing was how much these guys you know, cared about America, cared about um, certain personal traits or relationships or um, certain sacrifices or the value of living a certain way or to a certain code. And yet we're really going to die without or and they're, you know, they, whenever they die, they weren't really going to pass that knowledge on. They weren't going to become teachers. They weren't going to um, impart this hard-earned wisdom, this experiential knowledge that they'd gained. And that you know, got me thinking. For several years, I just was kind of mulling it over and thinking, God, it's, it's, it's a shame that that isn't going to find any sunlight. That there's no way that people, that society as a whole can benefit from those lessons. And I think it led me to thinking, you know, what is a veteran, really? What makes a veteran special? Why do we talk about veterans? Why are they a protected class of individual? And what came to me is, well, veterans, you know, they're not smarter, faster, tougher, uh, better looking necessarily than any other human being. But what makes them special is two things. What they've seen, so war, famine, drought, plague, you know, big disturbing issues. And what they felt, the range of emotions that they felt. Now, I think Olivia Takakis, the actress, once said that you've, by the age of eight, a person has felt all the emotions they need to play all the great characters on the stage. And she's probably right. But when I say that about veterans, I think the range of emotions that they experience, at least in my experience, or in, and not just for me personally, but from others that I saw, I think the range of emotions was significantly more intense and concentrated in and, and, and occurs in a very concentrated time frame because things happen quickly in the military, um, relatively speaking. You know, you do 20 years in a bank, you've worked there for a long time, but, you know, you're not gassed out necessarily. 20 years in the military, that really does mean something. You pack a lot into short into your short six-year or four-year or three-year contracts. And a lot of things happen. A lot of emotionally significant events occur for you. So that's, you know, it can be the, the range of emotions from terror to sadness to hilarity to giddiness to boredom, God knows boredom, um, to frustration, but all of them in broad, sweeping brushstrokes, all of them to the nth degree. And I thought, well, that's really what makes a veteran a veteran. That's the experience that kind of stretches your emotions in every conceivable way. And you have to put a lid on it because you're a veteran. You're there to, you're, or you're in the military or in some capacity. So you're there to do a mission. And you can't let your emotions drive the boat. You, you got to stay focused. And that leads to everybody's favorite word, repression, right? 
because one man's discipline is another person's repression. And discipline is great. But to be disciplined, you do have to repress a bunch of emotions. And but you still have them and you have all those pent up emotions and pent up feelings that are in extremists that are, they're truly um, dramatic. So what came to me is, boy, it would be great for veterans to have a creative outlet to write. And my family's background is essentially three generations in the theater. So for me, I'm very biased. I, I, I believe theater is the most creative performing art a person can do. Because it is com- as completely malleable, malleable forms. There is nothing set in stone. It is so imaginative. You can flip things on its head. You can twist and turn things. Uh, the format of plays and the format of, of uh, performance structure in all sorts of ways. And it makes it a very creative format to write in. It doesn't require um, the rigid structure of, say, a sitcom or even a movie. So I liked the freedom of that, and I thought, well, also being a biased New Yorker, and I do believe New York is the arts capital of the world, I thought, well, you know, if you put, if you find talented veteran writers and put them under one roof with world-class New York-based performers, you really have something. So that's what we did. We're creating an equity theater, a professional theater. But we're going to hold playwriting competitions. I will tell you right now, the first playwriting competition will start on July 4th, 2021. And it will be a chance for people to write, for veterans to write and uh, compete. And at the end of six months, we'll have a panel of judges assess who they think the top several playwrights are. And we will look at offering them fellowships to become artists in residence at VetRep where they will go into a writing incubator and start and be paid to churn out content. And that's what we will perform and will be very rare. will be an incredibly rare animal because we will be a theater that will uh, put on mostly world premiere plays, which is incredibly rare and really unheard of, but that's the concept. So, um, and we'll do a lot of things. We're going to do main stage plays. We'll have, plays going on our secondary stage. We'll have audio plays that we push out because obviously, you know, a lot of the veteran and military community isn't close to New York. Um, so to those that want a road trip, bitchin', thank you. Please come on over. We'll have a bar. We'll have a lounge. You'll have a great time. But, you know, a lot of you guys are overseas or downrange and we want you guys to have content also. So we will do audio plays and we'll push that out probably over iTunes. Um, and, uh, that will lead into my Kickstarter speech, which I'll bore you guys with another time. But that's vet rep. That's the concept of vet rep. Uh, not really in a nutshell. Uh, maybe on a, I don't know, saucer-sized plate. Anyway, that's that's what vet rep is. So that's been taking up a lot of my bandwidth. Um, the website should be up on or about July fourth. Uh, we will have a Kickstarter. That will be coming out on or about July 4th. Um, and I'll have more on that. And I'll certainly push out the Kickstarter address when the time comes for that. Um, but, you know, rev your engines because that'll be coming. And you can always stay up to date uh, with us at Vet Rep Theater on Instagram. We'll, we'll keep pushing out uh, updates, videos, pictures, what have you. So you can see the space. Um, 
you know, when I when I say theater to veterans, a lot of veterans, I feel it's like cognitive dissonance. They're like, huh, what theater? You know, it's the last thing that most veterans think about. But I think when you see pictures of the place, you'll get a sense of grandeur and you'll see the magnitude of what we're doing because it really uh, we're, we're trying to make it a cultural institution, um, not just for veterans, but for Newburgh, for Lower Hudson Valley. And for anybody coming from out of town, uh, we're making it a destination spot for you to come and have a really a hell of a night out, a swank night out at knock on whatever it is I'm leaning on right now, metal or brass, but knock on whatever, uh, you know, an affordable night out. And we'll try to keep the prices at a reasonable level to the best of our ability. So anyway, that's your heads up on that. I do want to mention exactly who we consider to be veterans. So we consider veterans uh, for our intents and purposes, not just military veterans, but we're also talking about law enforcement veterans, fire, EMS, intelligence services, foreign service, the full spectrum profession of arms. Uh, anybody in that in, in that uh, category, we're considered to be a veteran. And most importantly, or not most importantly, but equally as importantly, uh, the immediate family members of veterans. Because we want to honor, respect, and give a platform to the people that have gone on that roller coaster ride of emotions with the veterans that have experienced the same depth of emotion, but in a very different context. And, uh, you know, those immediate family members that have had to pick up and move or have been up late at night worrying, um, we want to honor, respect them, and give them that platform as well. And it's worth saying, I, I, I kind of joked with some people a while ago about this being our ulterior motive. And uh, it's not really so ulterior because I think I'm relatively open about it. But I, and as much as I don't like to cling to the narrative of, of the victim narrative with anybody, I, I, I'm willing to say this about the veteran community. It is truly an underrepresented community. Yes, there are many books and movies about military life. Um, there is plenty of military stuff and shoot 'em ups in pop culture. There are not that many veteran voices that are making a living entertaining you. And that's where they're underrepresented. You can always find a Jerry Bruckheimer that will hire a lot of military advisors to do a movie and God bless nothing wrong with that, but you won't find a lot of veterans that are producing entertainment writing entertainment, um, you know, and, and contributing to the entertainment uh, uh, environment in America. And I think that's a shame because I do think as social media, you know, is so prevalent and pop culture carries such a weight uh, to not have veteran voices contributing actively uh, really doesn't do them justice and it doesn't do the civilian population justice because they're not able to learn from the veteran experience or consider the veteran experience. And I will say this, uh, as I said, I, I don't like embracing any sort of victim narrative for anybody. And I don't with the military community. I just, I think factually they are underrepresented in the entertainment uh, sphere. But I, I, I do think it's important to distinguish the veteran community from other identity groups. Uh, you choose to be a veteran. You know, there were choices that you made. So you're not a victim because you weren't born a veteran. You you chose to go into that line of work. At the same time, 
all the more honor to you because you didn't have to do this. You could have done a whole lot of other things, things that might have made you more money, things that might have been a hell of a lot safer, things that might have kept you in marriages longer, kept your families together more, um, you know, caused a lot less stress, but you didn't. You chose the hard right over the easy, I don't want to say wrong, it's not wrong to not uh, be a service member or, or be part of what we're defining as the veteran community. Um, but you chose a hard right as opposed to an easier right, let's say. So that, so we, that's what we're trying to honor. That's what we're trying to reward. And we want veterans to understand, uh, you know, veterans tend to be relatively practical. They tend to think of things as far as, you know, when am I getting my retirement and how much is that going to be? And what does that afford me to do? And how much freedom will I get? Um, you know, to be able to travel around and do things that I want to do when I'm older. So they tend to be relatively practical about financial um, issues. And what we're trying to do is really allow them to have that flexibility uh, and, and that security of knowing that they can write, live their lives, and actually make a living as a writer and to do that in the theater. And, you know, if it morphs into something else, God bless. But at least initially um, to come here and help us develop plays that uh, people are going to find entertaining. I think it's also worth saying on, on the vet rep angle, we're not trying to put out plays that are all about military life. I personally would find that excruciatingly tedious. We're not trying to do um, platoon on stage every freaking week. That's exhausting for anyone to come to and to come see. There will probably be a little of that because that's obviously a legitimate part of, of people's lives when they're in the profession of arms. But we don't really care what genre a writer writes in or what subject matter they write about. I really care more about who's doing the writing than the genre or the subject matter. Because, as I said, the depth of experience that veterans bring to the table is really what matters. And those experiences, that those emotions can translate into any genre, can translate into any subject matter. So that's what I find exciting about it is to see, you know, what a romantic comedy um, looks like on stage through that veteran perspective. Um, the hilarity of, uh, you know, wartime experiences, uh, even of, of a distinct combat experience, uh, sometimes hilarious stuff happens. <laughs> and, and that's worth showing. And that's what we're trying to do is show the colors, be creative, find, uh, you know, different ways of formatting uh, these experiences and bringing them to you. Okay, that's the long, that's a longer pitch than I planned on giving, but I think it's, it encompasses everything I needed to say. And hopefully it gives you guys a, uh, a good understanding of what we're trying to do. When we launch the website, it will be at vetrep.org. Um, so if you check it out now, you will probably see a page that is private and requires a password to get in. So don't worry about it right now. But I will certainly let you guys know when that page is live and we'll do that. And right now, Charlie's going, dude, this is the longest plug in the history of the Weekly Havoc. And he's absolutely right. But this is what I get for not doing a plug usually for all these episodes. I saved it all up just for this one when I can actually go on at length about the thing I'm <laughs> deeply involved in. So, uh, guys, that's all we're going to do for today. Uh, we'll keep this short and sweet. I'm looking at like 35, 37 minutes now. Um, so we'll, keep, we'll stop it there. I really appreciate it. Uh, the guests that we were going to have on today, the subject matter we were going to have on, we will do for you, or the subject matter we we're going to talk about, I should say, we'll do for you again. 
down the road. So uh, it was a good one, and I don't want to steal my own thunder by talking about it now. So we'll leave it there. So my thanks to myself um, <laughs> for coming on the show. And uh, if you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe. Uh, if you're on iTunes, a five-star review would be deeply appreciated. You can say whatever you want about me, about the show, um, about what we talked about, anything in the review. But if you could put five stars with it, that would be outstanding. The show notes will be at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com. Again, that's theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Or if you go to Havoc Journal, you will see the accompanying article that I write for each one of these episodes, and that will have the show notes on there. It will also have alibis for anything I misstated, anything that I thought, you know, I woke up at two in the morning was like, ah, why did I say it like that? I should have put more context there or something. Um, I'll write an alibi and I'll, I'll put that out there to answer any questions, comments, snide remarks you guys may have before you have them. So you can always check that out. Uh, so show notes and alibis will be together and, um, yeah, check them out when you get a chance. I'm trying to think right now exactly how many show notes and alibis I'm actually going to have on this one because this whole episode has essentially been one big alibi. Anyway, that'll be an existential conversation I need to have with myself after this, after I wrap this episode. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal, who does a great job and hopefully whose life I've made really easy today because he has nobody to edit and clean up. Uh, all the volumes, all the levels, except for me. So that should be a very easy job for him. But thank you to Mike Neal and to everybody else. Um, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And uh, can't wait to have Charlie back here, I think, next week. And to all the guests that weren't able to be on today, I apologize. We will work this out so that we can have you guys back on and talk about everything we want to talk about in the dangerously near future. Until the next time, we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos here on the Weekly Havoc.